I'm so thankful that the Word of God is more powerful than anything else. That the preacher can preach. That the singers can sing. And yet at the same time, we get to look at it carefully and do our best to explicate it and expose it. So today I was thinking about how we've had these excellent teachings from Psalm 119. So good. And I pray that they've been motivating you to look at the Word, read the Word, ponder the Word. What did Dan say? Was it chew on it? Something like that. I like the word mull it over. Have you noticed how the Word of God is life-giving? When maybe you feel dead. If you're a Christian, you're not dead. But if you feel dead, the Word is life-giving. And mentioned, I mentioned Wednesday night. Sometimes you might not really feel like reading the Word of God, but you read it because you know you're supposed to. And I said, that could almost sound legalistic. And Dan... He didn't correct me, but he said, well, remember, legalism is when you're doing it because you think you can do it to get saved or get, like, extra position with God. But when you're saved, you do it because you're changed. And so even if you don't feel like reading the Word of God, you read it because you've already been changed. So you will read the Word of God. And you noticed how when you're in the Word of God, it does actually change you more. More and more and more and more. We look at the Word and we read the Word and it affects our minds, it affects our hearts. We gain knowledge and we're motivated. You can't not be motivated if you read the Word of God and you're saved. Okay, remember I keep putting in the conjunction, and you're saved. Now I want to ask you, when you read the Word of God, Have you been in awe? Have you been amazed? Have you been brought low? Have you been brought more into love of Christ? And do you see more clearly how he made a relationship possible? I'm going to try to get at that a little bit. In the Old Testament, sometimes it seems impersonal. Far, far, far away, God. Far, 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 far away. And when you read the Word of God, do you sense and recognize and understand a little bit more how Jesus is tender toward you? So, how about if you stand with me, if you can, to read the Word. I'm going to be reading from John 1. Some of you might say, well, Brian, didn't you read that last week if you were awake? But yes, I did, and we're going to read it again. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through Him, and without Him was not any thing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, Terry asked you and I asked you again. Help us to hear, listen, accept, receive, be changed by your word. Please help me to be true to it, to help and feed your sheep. We love you, our Father. Amen. Now, that's a lot in that passage, and I will not cover everything in detail, as you can guess. <laughs> um, but I do want you to keep in mind a few things. The, um, we just have all these things. There's so much in there. Let me show you the outline. The first point is Jesus is God of the triune God. Second, Jesus is the messenger, God-man. Third, Jesus is the message. And fourth, grace upon grace in relationship with God. And I'll talk about that near the end. I love this passage. It is so powerful, so potent, and so life-giving. A lot of commentators say that the other three Gospels focus, this is a simplification, focus on physical actions, those things. But you know there's way more than that in the other Gospels. John steps back, but then brings you deeply into theology, the spiritual, about what's going on with Jesus the Christ. The first three verses, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. We've been talking about the word W, it's lowercase. And the Word, capital W, was with God and the Word, capital W, was God. It's like, whoa, whoa. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, you could just take a long time on that, right? 
That's interesting. Just, that reflects you back immediately when you hear, in the beginning, where does your mind know if you're a Christian, you've been hearing the Bible for more than half a year? You go back to Genesis, right? You have to go back to Genesis. And, and you know, remember in Genesis, God creating things. He created the seas, he created the stars, he created the slugs and the, I don't know if there were bacteria then. But anyway, he created a lot of things. Well, they were according to their kind. Bacteria according to their kind. But it might have been like good ones in, you know, yogurt or something like that. But he created everything and all these things. And then remember, there's sort of a shift in the Genesis account. Because he did this, he did that, he did that. And then it's, look in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us. There's a shift, this plural thing, recognition of a plurality of something. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And I'm not going to read more. But now all of a sudden, there's something, it appears, other than a single, now this is our terminology, right? Theology that kind of came after the Bible. Other than a single person, there's a God, the God, but there's something else. But we see in John, it says the word, the capital W. It's a logos. It's a logos. And the Greeks all knew that that was this powerful creative force. The most amazing. They didn't know what it was, but they thought it was out there. And it really has to do with something being said Calvin, I like the way John Calvin said it, the speech. Instead of the word, the speech. Now, we could get into some exceptions, but humans, if you want to know Todd or Abby or Isabella, you do what? You listen to their words. And that's why it's sometimes frustrating when somebody's just, the silent type. Because maybe he doesn't want you to get to know who he really is. Or maybe he just doesn't want anybody to know. But you want to know who he really is. But by somebody's speech, we get to know the deepest parts of that person. We get to know a lot by their actions. But we get to know more if you can start drawing them out. Like a husband and wife, there might be the quiet one. And the other one is just dying to know and trying to get him or her, I was going to say him, but sometimes it's her, to <clears throat> stereotyping, get it out of there, get it out there, what you're thinking. The word. So that's a little hint. This is an excerpt from Matthew Henry about that passage in Genesis. And therefore God himself not only undertakes to make him, but is pleased so to express himself as if he called a council to consider of the making of him. Let us make man. I added the emphasis here. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, 
consult about it and concur in it. Because man, when he was made, was to be dedicated and devoted to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So what do we do when we baptize? Into that great name we are, with good reason, baptized. For to that great name we owe our being. Let him rule man who said, let us make man. So we had some little hint way back in Genesis. Zoom forward to John 1. And we have a big hint. Starts opening up. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful things that Google's been doing is helping us to see not, not the lesser value, but a different value of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And how now in the New Testament, so many things are made clearer, more special. And we get to have a more tender, closer relationship with God. And we're going to see partly because of Jesus, His Son. One of the simplest ways to know whether a group that says it's Christian is Christian is whether they affirm, and I've not fully gotten into it yet, the deity of Christ. But I've got to say it before I forget. I, I think I missed my opportunity on Friday. I stopped to get some photos. Some of us don't use digital stuff when we go visit friends, and I had to get ready to visit friends. How was it? Home, whatever it's called now, Office Depot? What, what is, I don't know. They changed their name some years ago. And as I was going out, I started talking to a lady, and I said, well, that fellow was friendly, the, the guy at the register. She said, yes, he was. And so we started chatting, and, and I said something like, may God bless you. And she said, and you too, and I'll see you in heaven. I said, oh, do you have a church? She said, yes, I do. Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And I said, well, that's a different gospel, immediately. And she said, oh. I said, maybe we'll talk sometime. But you know, I wonder if I should have said, that's a lie. That's a damnable lie gospel. That might have, you know, got us into a conversation a little faster. We were talking about that Wednesday night, weren't we? You know, what to say and when. Because it is a damnable lie. If you, if you believe in an elephant, you know, that will give you a big ride, when it's really a dick-dick in Africa, can't give you a ride, you're, you're in fantasy land. You, you can't get a ride on a dick-dick. And you cannot be saved by belief in a false god. So some examples would be Mormon, Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, United Pentecostals, Jesus-only Pentecostals. That's a challenging conversation if you have that one. But faith in a false Jesus is not saving faith. And a false Jesus cannot save you. So just keep that in mind. Uh, with people, it's an opportunity to tell the true gospel. We see from the beginning in Genesis, and now we see in John, the full deity of Christ. Full, absolute deity of Christ. He was with the Father and Holy Spirit. And some people will use that as an argument. With, we're going to get to that, okay? Christ was God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had and have the same essence. That's a Greek word, and theologians use, I, I'm not going to try to say it, but anyway, essence. And part of their essence is the ability to create ex nihilo, or ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. A lot of these I'm going to have to come back to. Christ created as did the Father and the Holy Spirit. He created. So we have that Jesus was and is 
pre-existent. Jesus was and is co-existent with the Father, and we know from other scripture, Holy Spirit. And now, let's look at a little bit more about Jesus. He is the messenger. Say, so, well, I thought John the Baptist was a messenger. Well, he was a lower, a lesser messenger. But Jesus is also a messenger, and he's God-man. Let's look at verses 4 through 11, but I'll focus on one. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations say comprehend, but I think, I think, and others think overcome is better because comprehend sounds like they didn't understand it. It's more like they couldn't stop it. They couldn't beat it. They couldn't destroy it. And you know if you just have a little bit of light, this starts to fascinate the mind physically, but a little light, there's nothing the darkness can do about it. A little match. Have you ever seen that when your eyes are closed and you're out and it's dark and there's no full moon and, a, well, it's western Oregon, a lot of clouds, and you're in your house and all the lights are off, including the little ones on your microwave, and you get up and it's just pitch black. If you just light one little tiny match and hold it in the corner, it's incredible what you can see. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, John, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. <clears throat> he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now you might say, gives light to everyone? It doesn't say salvation. But anybody, anybody who comes in contact with information about knowledge of Jesus, if it's accurate, will ha experience some light. You cannot not. Even a pagan, corrupt, degenerate, not changed like some of you and I were, will experience some light when we hear about Jesus. I remember reading the Bible as a senior in college before I was born again, and it just starts bringing light. It just starts bringing light. It's, I mean, almost everybody knows he was a good man. Who doesn't want to be around a good man? Good man brings light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So let's stop back in verse 4. In him was life. And life was in Jesus, not just when he was born, not just when he was conceived. It was in Jesus from eternity past. And that is evidence of his self-existence. So Jesus was pre-existent and is pre-existent. Jesus is co-existent and was co-existent. And Jesus is self-existent. You say, well, how could you prove Jesus is or was God. And you can only prove it from the Word of God. You say, well, that's not fair. Yes, it is. You're a Christian. You know everybody has presuppositions, right? If you go to, I don't know whether he's a Christian, so I'm not going to say. Jordan Peterson, famous gap in Canada, professor type. If you go to the intelligent design people, you go to Muslims, you go to the CRT, the LGBTQ, and all that other crowd who 
who I hang out with, usually only once a year. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, but they all, all, all have presuppositions that they cannot prove with empirical evidence. We all have to know that. We all have to remember that. We know, because God has revealed it to us, that his word, this written word, and the word, Jesus W, capital W, is the proof. So we have proof from this text and others that Jesus was pre-existent, co-existent, and this is the clincher for godness. Self-existent. Only God, only God was self-existent. And how do we even comprehend that? I, I can't. Because we're all so tied to this. Wood, metal, flesh, air. Before all that. So far before that, there's no such thing as so far before that. That's, it just is, was, always was, never wasn't. I don't know how many ways to say it. That's Jesus, the Word. Always, forever, never a beginning. Ever. None of us can comprehend that. I don't think any of us can comprehend that. That is Jesus. We study the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We believe the Word of God. And we had our sermons that pointed us to the Word of God. And then we have John who comes along. And he helps to change things for people for all time. Again, I'm not saying it's better than the Old Testament because that's God's word, right? But there is a change. And I like this quote from Thomas Schreiner in his book, The King and His Beauty. John's notion of the word capital W, watch carefully if you're reading, though it echoes the Old Testament and Second Temple Jewish literature, also transcends them. In previous traditions, God's Word is personified. Personified means treated as if it were human, like in the form of a human. In tr previous traditions, God's Word is personified, but it is not considered to be a separate Hypostasis. Okay, he's using some big words on you here. But that's one you need to know if you study theology. Uh, hypostasis is a person or substance. So, John 1, 1 to 2 both distinguishes the Word, that's capital W, from God. The Word was with God. So somehow it's distinguished. Word was with God. And he was in the beginning with God. And conjunction. And he identifies the word as God. The word was God. John thereby, therefore, thereby introduces complexity into the identity of God. Now this would bother a Jew, right? But they haven't been changed. They haven't been born again. But God did this through John for us. A richer, fuller, more complete knowledge of and understanding of, and therefore we'll get later, better, deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with God.
Let me continue the quote. I had to split it up here. <clears throat> there is one God, and yet the Father is God, and the Word is God. The Word, okay, now, Jesus has explicated, that's explained in detail, the Word has explicated God to human beings in verse 18. Thomas confesses that Jesus is my Lord in another chapter. So that the theme that Jesus is fully divine bookends the gospel, beginning and end. The mystery grows even deeper, however. The Word is not only God, but, ha- but also became flesh which clarifies how he could explain who God is to humans, human beings. I didn't really think about it until I was watching somebody preach about part of this. We're not quite there in our tradition, our history, but this is really a Christmas teaching. You know, it just fits. It's just incredible. Which clarifies how he, Jesus, could explain who God is to human beings. The creator of the world also entered into the world. Anyone who has truly seen Jesus has also seen the Father. Jesus as the Word is the revelation of the Father, explicating God to us. Nor is this knowledge abstract. Jesus came and revealed that He is the way and the truth and the life. That he is the only way to God. That one becomes a child of God through Jesus. That's personal and that's practical. <clears throat> How is that practical? He's the way, he's the highway. The path, the only way. You go, well, all right, then I've got to follow him. And he's the truth. There's no other truth that's so perfect and pure. No truth. You're not going to get it in a biology class. You're not going to get it for sure in a sociology class. You're not, you're not going to get it anywhere. So, a little bit about this God-man and this more deeper explanation by John. This is a very simplified definition. And remember I mentioned the word hypostasis. So, it's a quote from uh, carm.org. Hypostatic union is the union of the two natures, divine and human, in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh, and we can see that in John 1, 1 and 14, John 10, 30, 33, 20, 28, and some other scriptures. He is, here, here's what it is. He is fully God and fully man. Thus, he has two natures, God and man. He's not half God and half man. He's 100% God and 100% man. And you say, I don't understand that. Well, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. It's, it's like as you grow in Christ, 
I'm not sure we could say, I understand that. But I think we could say, I'm familiar with that. And I know that. And I believe that. Here's from, on that note, here's from Ligonier Ministries. Jesus is not a split personality. His two natures are united. So, is that up there? His two natures are united so perfectly that he can do things that only human beings do and things that only God does without changing the character of his divine nature. Okay, I'm just going to stop there for a minute. So, if God is all-powerful, Jesus is all-powerful because that's part of the divine nature of God. If God is omnipresent, and he is, Jesus is. It's like, oh, what? And if God is all-knowing, Jesus is. If God created all things that have been created, Jesus did. Okay, kind of, just have to kind of go over that over and over and over. At the same time, not but, at the same time, he was like you and me in our flesh and ate and maybe played some games and laughed and maybe cut some stones or maybe pounded some nails. Both. Not but and. Ultimately, we cannot fully explain this mystery as there is nothing else like the hypostatic union in creation. But we do know that believing in Christ as both fully God and fully man is the most reasonable thing we could ever do. And it's reasonable because it's revealed to us. It's not reasonable because we're humans and we're smart. I just had to add that to Ligonier's quote. I would have added that in the quote. Because you can't just walk up to a bunch of professors and say, it's the reasonable thing to do. They're going to laugh at you. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, Brian, prove it to us. It's reasonable because it's been revealed to you in the Word of God, lowercase w. So, he is the messenger that came forth from God, the triune God, and he is the perfect messenger, and he was the planned messenger, and Jesus is the messenger of fulfillment, of promise. Wow, all the way back. Because what else was in Genesis besides the creation? What came right after that? The fall, and then right after the fall, what came from God? The promise. Wow, is that, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. So, let me put this up here. It's the third main point that I want to touch upon today. He's the messenger, and he's also the what? He's the message. Like, what? He's the messenger, and he's the message. And I could have done... I could have done message before messenger, but I just decided to do messenger before message because, you know, in the, the earthly realm, he was born before he started preaching because in that way he was human. He didn't get to preach before he was born. <laughs> That's the way it is. And, and this is where I just want to stop for a minute. And we have, we call them in the Bible four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in John. And yet the Gospels all throughout the Bible... But we just talked about four Gospels. So I want to stop for a minute and think. How many of you can remember 
when you first clearly heard and paid attention to the good news. Can anybody, anybody remember that? She does. A few of you do. A few of you do. Some of you heard it. So You were so young. You're just like, wow, how did God do that? So let me read this from John Calvin. He's still relevant, by the way. I really like this. This is from Calvin. I don't know how many years ago that was. Was that 400? 500? More like five? The meaning of the Greek word, the transliteration, euangelion, is well known. In Scripture, it denotes by way of eminence, and I really like this little piece he did here that I emphasized, the glad and delightful message of the grace exhibited to us in Christ in order to instruct us by despising the world and its fading riches and pleasures, to desire with our whole heart and to embrace when offered to us the invaluable blessing. So, you know, we do know about God's wrath. We do know about his justice. And those are all a part of the essence of God. As Christians, though, this is really, really special. The conduct which we perceive in irreligious men, and that used to mean non-Christians, who take an extravagant delight in the empty enjoyments of the world, while they are little, if at all, affected by a relish for spiritual blessings, is natural, let's admit it, to us all. For the purpose of correcting this fault, God expressly bestows the name gospel on the message which he orders to be proclaimed concerning Christ. For thus he reminds us that nowhere else can true and solid happiness be obtained, and that in him we have all that is necessary for the perfection of a happy life. So I just want to stop and challenge you and me. When did we last take the opportunity I'm looking at somebody, and then I'm looking at myself. When something hard happens, a family member dies, you're sitting with a friend you've probably only seen five times in 50 years, and you're at a football game, and he tells you, I've had a couple strokes in the past half a year, and he's not a Christian. What are you and I going to do? Are we going to be quiet? And say, well, somebody else will tell them. Or are we going to speak up? Or maybe send a message. Or maybe ship a book to them. What are we going to do? Because we say this is good news, right? Oh, we like good news. Do you like good news just for yourself? Or do you like good news for your friends and strangers? It's the good news. The glad and delightful message of the grace exhibited to us in Christ, brother and sister, in order to instruct us by despising the world and its fading riches and pleasures, like maybe being spurned or saying, I don't really want to go to a football game with you again because you had to tell me again about Jesus. To desire with our whole heart and to embrace when offered to us this invaluable blessing. So this is both an incredible 
and a bit mysterious. But before Jesus walked on earth and we had the New Testament, it was extra mysterious. And I used to not like that word because it's used a lot in the religious tradition from which I come. So I try to avoid the word mystery. But it was because a mystery is something strange or not known that has not yet been explained or understood. Then Jesus came and he explained it all better. And then he left and he left the Holy Spirit And he gave us the book of John. Explains it even better. God was very kind and generous to send us both the messenger and the message in person. It was tangible and real. He was of real physical substance. And then he wrote down and preserved for us the word of God. And we have it in many versions all over the world. So here's, here's what, it was just part of the plan. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit sent the Son and He came in flesh. And He explicated, He explained in detail the Father to us. You know, in the Old Testament, they didn't have it like that. They didn't not have it like that. And Jesus the Son explicated, explained in detail the good news in a way they did not have it before. It doesn't mean it was not available. It does not mean nobody was saved. It just was in a new way, a fuller way. And he left the Holy Spirit who he promised. So now, let's look at this passage, or this quote. Up at the top it says, Jesus is both the messenger and the message. And this is another quote from Schreiner in The King and His Beauty. The word in the opening verses of 1 John, now I'm jumping to another book here, confirms the practical dimensions of John's thought. Here the word refers to both the message of the gospel and the messenger, Jesus Christ. Certainly, John refers to Jesus for he emphasizes that he heard, saw, and touched him, pointing to the revelation of the Word, capital W, in history to the incarnation of the Word, capital W. God manifested himself to the world through the Word, capital W, and the Word is the means by which human beings may enjoy eternal life and have fellowship. And I think, well, maybe you're with me, still understanding fellowship with God. That just sounds a little too personal in some ways. Fellowship with both the Father and the Son. But it's not, I should add. It's not. We can say then that Jesus, as the Word, is God's final and definitive message to human beings. So that writes off so many, 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 many books and articles that are online or for sale. Jesus is the definitive, final message. The words of the Old Testament point toward and climax in Jesus as the Word, capital W, as the incarnate one of the Father. As the Word, he reveals and discloses the Father to human beings, making known to us what God is like. That's so, 
special. And he did it. And you say, well, but he's not here right now. Well, we have this. You can keep reading the Gospels. You can't tire of that. And we have the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand that and experience that. But how does that work? Like, he's the messenger and he's the message. What makes it work? He's just like, you tell that message to your friend or somebody who's hurting or somebody you know who needs Christ, which is every person you know who's not born again. How does that work? I can't make it work. Matt cannot make it work. Betsy cannot make it work. Annette cannot make it work. But she can be a part of it. Here's how it works. So back to John 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, comma, comma, who were born. How were they born? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Say, well, then who could be saved? It's like, isn't that everything we're all about? Isn't that everything? Football's on my mind. I hadn't gone to a football game in 30 years, 31 years. But because you're just going to do it out there, right? You're going to work harder. You're going to practice harder. And the coach is going to yell at you more. And you're going to do it, right? You're going to do it. You can make it happen. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get that money. I'm going to get that. It doesn't work with the gospel and salvation. So, not of blood, not by physical birth, nor of the will of man, nor of the flesh, comma, but of God. Wow. You mean I can't get my friend saved? No, you can't. But you can tell them the good news. Our change and salvation are by and only by the will and the word of God. The will, I'm going to get to that in a second, and the word, capital W, because it had to be through Jesus. It's by God's decision. It's by God's power. It's by God's Son, the Word, capital W. And God's will is His choice. We all talk about choice, right? And we know about that. You don't have a let's choice when you're a slave to sin. It's by God's discretion. It's by God's pleasure. It pleases Him to save people. We can't do it. And none of us did it. It's not the will of any man. It's not your will. It's not the words of a priest. It's not the sacraments in a certain religious group that saves you. It's not the sacraments that can save you on the deathbed. It's not the power of any local church or the church universal or a fake church. It is by only the will of God. Only the will of God. And say, well, that sounds kind of grumpy, (laughs) but it's not. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And you know, he came 
to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, and if you're not, I hope you're listening right now, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, remember he's the word made flesh. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. How many of you would like to be able to talk with Jesus face to face? It's coming, right? It's coming. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Everyone, whether you were five years old, 15 years old, 55 years old, when the Lord saved you, this is how it was. Wow, that's incredible. We sang today, didn't we? I love that. You will save who you will save. Another one from John Calvin. The wind bloweth where it pleaseth. Not that, strictly speaking, there is will in the blowing, but because the agitation is free and uncertain and variable. Hmm. For the air is carried sometimes in one direction and sometimes in another. How this applies to the case in hand. For if it flowed in a uniform motion like water, it would be less miraculous. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Christ means that the movement and operation of the Spirit of God is not less perceptible in the renewal of man than the motion of the air in this earthly and outward life, but that the manner of it is concealed. And that, therefore, we are ungrateful and malicious if we do not adore the inconceivable power of God in the heavenly life. Do you adore God's power and his choice and his pleasure and his will? Because some people get angry about that. Well, why won't he save so-and-so? Why did he let that happen? Calvin is saying, you're malicious if you don't adore the will of God. If we do not adore the inconceivable power of God in the heavenly life, of which we behold so striking an exhibition in this world, and if we ascribe, we're also, we're also malicious, if we ascribe to God less in restoring the salvation of our soul than in upholding the bodily frame. He does what he pleases. And we need to adore him for being that way. That is God. He does what he pleases. Not what we please, unless it's what? According to his will. You were ahead of me. I saw you. Now, it really struck me last night listening to something 
Sometimes when you preach, you do listen to things at the last minute because God might do something with that too. Four words in this passage that bring this more and more personal to us. The Word became flesh. That God who we've been talking about, coexistent, preexistent, and self-existent. That's the, like, basically the ultimate in whether it is God who we're talking about. Self-existent. Nothing else in this world self-existent. Nothing in the universe was self-existent. And I don't want to distract us, but whatever else there is, <laughs> other than a universe we call a universe, self-existent, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, no beginning, no beginning point, God. That's Jesus. He became flesh. That's, that's mind-blowing. And it's very personal. Later in the, chap- in the book of John, in 14, Jesus expresses his very tender care for Debbie and Anita and Sarah and Carson. Let's see that. John 14, Jesus says, and this is part of his message. I'm not going to read the whole section. John 14, you can look at 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Wow. He knew he knew we might be. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then remember he has what prepared for us? Rooms. Many rooms. Now let's go down here. And Thomas comes into the picture here. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Remember that? He's just like worried. And, and Jesus cared about Thomas, and he cares about David and me. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't have to worry if you're a Christian. Because you already have the way, the truth, Don't have to go to college for it. And the life. And remember, the pre-existent and self-existent life. You have that from Jesus. That's incredible. I just want to read a short quote. This is from the commentator. First, let us consider these First, distinctly, Christ is the way, the highway, spoken of in Isaiah 35.8. Christ was his own way. It's the only way and is his own way. For by his own blood he entered into the holy place, and he is our way. For we enter into life by him. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can only be in the life if you follow the way. So... He said, don't worry. I'm, I'm it. And then, let me make sure this is it. Yeah. A little bit more on the word became flesh, personal and loving. Secondly, let us consider these jointly and with reference to each other. Christ is the way, the truth, 
and the life. That is, he is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Now, if you notice, the title had something to do with beginning to the end, the title of today's sermon. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end. In him, we, that's each one of you Christians, and if you're not born again, this is where you would need to be. In him, we must set out, go on, and finish as the truth he is the guide of our way. Nothing else, there's nothing else that is the perfect, dependable guide. He is the guide of our way. As the life, he is the end of it. You only have life in Christ. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. Eternal torment. Punishment. That's the other way. That's the other way. It's the only other way. You don't have a bunch of fuzzy ways in God's reality and God's truth. There are no fuzzy ways. There's life with Him, eternal life, and there's death, eternal hell, torment. Not annihilation. That's a nice little thought. It's forever punishment, horrible evil. If you're experiencing that. As the truth, He is a guide of our way. As a life, He is the end of it. He is the true and living way. There are truth and life in the way as well as at the end of it. Because, you know, this is, this is good and that's, what, it, what was that thing in one of those? More better? Way more better? Gooder, better, more better? Okay. He is the true way to life, the only true way. Other ways may seem right, but the end of them is the way of death. So, there's no better time than now to admit and confess that you're a sinner and you need the way of Jesus if you've never done that. That is, that is, this is the only way. When is he coming back? When's your last chance? I don't know. It could be 28 seconds from now. I don't know. You don't have time. You don't, know how, you, don't even, you don't know how much time there is. The final main point, just to remind us, <clears throat> Jesus Christ, the Word, preexistent, coexistent, and what else? Self-existent. He's God. He always was and always will be God. Jesus cares about his children very, very much, intimately. You might have had experiences week this week and you think, God doesn't really care about me. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're a Christian. He cares about you. He cares about every little thing. When you're tired, when you're happy, when you're worn out, when something, quote, bad happened, you think it was bad, he cares about you and me. Always cares about his children. Just like a good father and a good mother. Many of you had good fathers and good mothers. They always cared about you. Might not have seemed like it, but they always cared about you in general. Not perfectly like God does, but they cared about you. He cares about you. God cares about you. So, I have a list here. It says the summary to this point, and I have 15 points. The summary to this point is Jesus, 
The Word was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. The God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the world and all that is in it. Nothing comes from nothing, but God has always existed before anything existed. Christ the Son is the light who came into the world as fully God and fully man. Remember this at Christmas time. The Word became flesh. It was, you know how sometimes preachers, you know, can I, they uh, copy from other preachers? But it was really good. John MacArthur, it was really good. I liked watching it last night. And he said, could we have Christmas without the shepherds? Could we have Christmas without the manger? Could we have shepherds without the sheep? Could we have shepherds without Mary and Joseph? He said, yes, it's right here in this verse. Four words. The word became flesh. John gave it to us in four words. That's Christmas. Like, wow, that was, yeah, that's true. You don't have to have all of that. You might enjoy that, but you don't have to have all of that. The word became flesh. Christ came to God's chosen nation, the Jews, but many, maybe we could say most, rejected him, as did other people. It wasn't just the Jews. A lot of people rejected him. But all for whom Christ would die, all he would save, received him. How did they receive him? By their own will? No. By the will of God. And all of this would happen, all of it happened by the pleasure of God. It's what he wanted. It was all done according to his divine nature, his essence. It was all because of his will, nothing else. And it, it, I keep talking about it, includes the gospel, the good news, the gracious and loving work of the Holy Spirit. And our great and loving and merciful and bountiful Father, that's your Father and my Father. He's all of those things and way more. He poured out grace upon grace by putting Jesus in the world. And so, we need to turn our eyes to Jesus. He's the beginning and the end of all things with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read briefly from Revelation 22 and close with another quote. Revelation 22 that the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. And I'm going down to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So again, Jesus assures us and he comforts us. He's coming soon. Say, but when is that? Soon. I'm coming soon. And the church says, amen, a hearty amen, right? Like, yes, yes, so be it. Come, Lord Jesus. So he's very kind. He doesn't just disappear. He says, I'm coming soon. Jesus always cared about his people. So I would like to finish with this. This is a great summary of a lot of things by Schreiner. The life of the coming age is centered on Jesus Christ. John puts a spotlight on Jesus himself. He is the Messiah, the Son of Man, 
the Son of God, and the Lord. It's like all of that. All of that. Indeed, He is the eternal Word of God. Capital W. Remember God's speech. We know about Him. We learn more about Him. We have more relationship with Him because of His speech, which is in a sense the image of the being that is God. Indeed, He is the eternal Word of God, the one who has revealed and explained the Father to human beings. Those who have seen Jesus have seen the Father. Let's stop and think about that. Those who have seen Jesus have seen the Father. God encounters human beings through Jesus Christ, for He is the Word made flesh. After Jesus' resurrection, Thomas rightly confessed that Jesus is both Lord and God. The I am statements in John's gospel communicate the majesty of his person, hearkening back to the I am statements in Exodus and Isaiah. Jesus is the bread of life. Like You have bread. You have the bread of life. Every one of you, Christian in here, has the bread of life. And we formally remember that once a month. He's the bread of life. You and I don't need anything more. Yeah, but I could starve, Brian, in 35 days. Yeah, you could, and die. But you have the bread of life, and then you get to go beware. <laughs> you don't have to think anymore. I don't want to try to be funny, but you don't have to think anymore about your, intol- you know, your food intolerances, your, your skin problems, anything. You have the bread of life. I have the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world. And the world cannot what? Overcome it. Never, never, ever, 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 ever can the world overcome. And the gates of hell, we can mash them, smash them down because Jesus is our king, right? He's the light of the world. He's the door of the sheep. When I do it right at home, there's only one way the sheep can get in a safe spot at our house. Otherwise, the coyotes are out there, occasionally a cougar. But he is the door of the sheep. And only Jesus, only Jesus is the door of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He always will bring you to water that's good for you. He'll always bring you to pasture that's good for you. He will not bring you to any poisons, toxins. If you Hang around Jesus. And I don't mean that in a flippant way. But if you tarry around Jesus, and if you don't tarry around other things, some of us tarry around other things. If you tarry around Jesus, he'll only bring you to good things. He's the resurrection. So there really was a resurrection. And those Jews could argue all day, but one group was right. There's a resurrection. And he's the true vine that is always bringing the right nutrients to you. Far, 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 far superior to any supplements you can take. The true vine. He shares the identity of God and existed for all eternity. Eternal life then centers on knowing Him. Who's Him? Jesus, the Word, made flesh. For John, eternal life does not merely designate the life of the age to come, it also has a qualitative dimension for it belongs to those 
who know and love the Father and Jesus Christ. Many of you in this room. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our King Jesus was with you from the very beginning. We praise you and acknowledge that our King Jesus is God, fully and essentially. Father, we recognize and we declare that our King Jesus created all things and now he holds all things together. Thank you, King Jesus, for coming in grace and truth as both the messenger and the message and being tender and kind and strong as the word made flesh and saving us. Help us to be firm and strong and persevere by your Holy Spirit as we follow you, the word made flesh. Amen.